0: as a team and kind of the, the the approach from a from a leadership standpoint we all talked about the fact that okay so what's the worst case scenario here we uh, we anger the executives at one of those big three so now amazon's gonna get uh press for picking on the little guy okay sign us up you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're walking right into where we want to be so uh, our growth is tripled uh, is tripling year over year right now and you know, these campaigns are definitely working and uh, it's a hot market to be in.
1: Welcome to Talk West, where every episode we'll be diving into the latest topics and trends in advertising, marketing, design, and more. I'm your host, Chris Bunn, joined as always by Mike Manganillo. In this episode, we're going to continue our series on the business effects of COVID 19 by looking into cloud storage. In an industry largely dominated by tech giants like Amazon or Google, there is one company that is disrupting the market, providing faster service and more storage at a fraction of the cost. We sat down with Michael Welts and Julie Berry of Wasabi to discuss their marketing strategy in this new era and what it takes to go head to head with the world's largest company. All right, we are now joined by Michael Welts and Julie Berry of Wasabi. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. So uh, for our listeners who may not know, what is Wasabi?
0: Wasabi is a a hot cloud storage company. It's pretty, pretty simple. It's an underlying kind of fundament to how you do the cloud and where you store your data.
1: So hot cloud storage, how is that different than, say, normal cloud storage like other companies might do?
0: Sure. Think of it as a a next generation of cloud storage. The first generation happened from a few small companies called Amazon, Google and Microsoft back in the 2005 timeframe. And it included and still to this day includes a lot of complexity, which has a different set of tiers to how you want to store your data. Maybe you want to archive it or maybe you want to keep it very close to where you access it from on your computer. What we've invented as a disruption in the industry is something called hot cloud storage, which actually uh, refines it down to a single class of storing your data or storage for your data so that you can just put it in one spot and get it as fast as the fastest out there and not have to worry about determining which tier to store it at and all the different associated fees and costs that go with storing at different tiers. We remove the complexity. What makes it hot is the immediate access to data.
1: Yeah, love that. Clean and simple.
2: And I'm assuming uh, you guys chose Wasabi because of the hot cloud. Is there a name behind, is there a story behind the name?
0: Sure. You know, when uh, the the co-founders and myself were sitting in a room, literally first day getting together with the patent attorneys, we were talking about the code name of the company, which was Blue Archive. And I was listening to the CTO explain his invention and, and you know, you usually invent you kind of vet these inventions with a patent attorney to see what really is, you know, defensible long term. And he started describing this tremendous archive platform that had great response rates. In other words, you could get access to your data really fast. And I, I looked at him and you know, I, I'm just the marketing guy, and I just kind of put on the a little bit of a technical hat here, and I just said to him. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, for, for those geeks in the audience out there, they're going to say, well, it kind of acts like active data, right? And he said, yeah, it's exactly what it is. And I said, well, isn't another word for active data, hot data? And he says, yeah, actually, that's what it is. I said, there you go. There's the birth of a new category, hot cloud storage. So then I looked at Dave, the CEO, I said, hey, Dave, um, where'd you come up with the name Blue Archive? And he said, blue is my favorite color. And I thought we were doing archiving. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So we went to Wasabi because obviously, you know, we wanted a word that has a a universal kind of global appeal. People know what Amazon stands for, even without Amazon, the retailer, if you will, or the the web service company. People understand what Google is about, if you actually know what it means in terms of the world's largest number. Mm. Everybody understands what Wasabi is. It has one connotation. It's very hot. So it was easy to make the connection, not the easiest domain to secure. Uh, it took a little bit of work there, but the rest is history. And, you know, it just, it provides a tremendous branding opportunity for the company. And that's exactly why I went out and found Julie, because that's her expertise and go build that brand.
2: That's a great story. I actually haven't physically eaten wasabi in quite some time, though. I do miss it.
0: <laughs> so just a quick story on that front. We we had a lot of fun in the early days when we launched, when we launched the company. We... Uh, and, and, and I broke a lot of rules with our attorneys. We did something we called wasabi roulette. And you know, we'd go out to these these trade shows over at MIT. We were invited to 300 entrepreneur, uh, innovator companies. You know, we're we're competing in this contest to be named the the most promising Boston tech startup. This is three years ago. And so you know, there's there's robots riding around the floor, handing stuff to you. There's heart valves. There's everything you can imagine. And then there's this thing called Wasabi, which is a cloud you can't even see. So, you know, nobody's stopping by our booth. And we, we kind of anticipated. We're not going to be the cool kids on the block. We're a bunch of boring cloud people. Who knows what we'll be doing. Worse yet, it's just data. So we came up with this notion of uh, Wasabi roulette. We said maybe if we could just draw a crowd to the booth, people will think we're a really hot company. So no pun intended. So we did... <laughs> So we did this wasabi roulette thing where we had five pieces of sushi on the plate and we had five people sign up. They had to sign a disclaimer (laughs) to protect us. And um, one by one, we went through five rounds of pulling a piece of uh, sushi off the plate and one person each round would draw a piece that would be fully loaded with wasabi. And you would just watch these people blow up. And it was fun. You know, our, our attorneys are saying, Mike, you know, you're going to get us in trouble. Somebody might have a heart attack here. I said, yeah, but we, we got to build our brand fast. So this is how we're going to do it. So, yeah. so, so you know, we went against their wishes. We did this contest. As it turns out, we ended up um, winning that event and were named the next, uh, most likely a unicorn tech company to come out of Boston. So
1: That's incredible, man. <laughs> That's one of the things I like about you guys. You're innovative when it comes to marketing and you're not afraid to, to go after the big boys. Like, you know, you're competing against Amazon and Google. What's that attitude like? Like where do you guys get the cojones to go up against, you know, Amazon or Google and like you actually plan out these campaigns to, to go after them?
0: I'll let Julie talk to the campaign side. I'll just give you the the part of it as a as a culture and it's it's you know kind of embedded in our culture from the very beginning when when Dave and Jeff started a little company called Carbonite back in 2005 a cloud backup company which just last year actually just sold for a billion and a half. They took on uh, at the time it was called EMC now EMC Dell IBM and HP. They couldn't get venture funding because everybody said nobody in their right mind would take on the three gorillas in the market with a product like, uh, like they had invented, which was Cloud Backup. So they said, you know, forget that. We're going to go after it anyway. Well, within the next three years, all three of those companies got out of that business. Wow. And so um, here we are, fast forward, you know, uh, 10 years later when Jeff comes up with the next great storage architecture and uh, Dave goes out to raise funding and uh, he's testing it on, on VCs and the VCs again pushed back and said the exact same thing. Who in the right mind would take on Amazon, Google, and Microsoft? And he's like, I would. So, you know, we, we went independent and we did the fundraise independent. We didn't do involve VCs or anything like that. And here we are now, you know, three years later with just a crazy amount of uh, customers and, and money back in the company, um, just on a tremendous, tremendous ride. But it, it's a cultural thing. We, we don't fear anything. And we realize that, you know, every innovation opportunity comes with disruption and disruption isn't just in the product and the technology it's in the attitude it's in your approach to market it's in so much more so it's kind of actually part of who we are as a fabric as individuals in the company as well Julie could talk to the campaigns because she's doing a heck of a job executing all the plays
3: yeah so I guess I'll just jump in so what drew me to Wasabi and my background is sort of Different, (laughs) and I've I've got experience from luxury goods to consumer packaged goods, and you know Wasabi is my first venture in the tech space. And what really drew me to the tech space, which I I found a little intimidating at first, was just the very um, simple message of Wasabi, which is that it's hot cloud storage. It's one fifth the price of Amazon S three. It's faster than the competition, and there's no additional fees or hidden fees for egress or API requests. So. It's, it's literally a very simple message to get across. and By so the way,
0: did you notice how geeky she sounded right then? I know. Right.
3: <laughs> Probably the most techie I'll ever sound. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, that type of simple messaging and a singular product is like a marketer's dream. So, you know, when I, when I first came on board, you know, and started talking to Mike, I love the mentality of a challenger brand. I love disruptive marketing. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And, you know, I loved the way that the Wasabi marketing was completely taking jabs right at Amazon and, you know, without, without apology, like just, just hammering them. And I thought, wow, you know, that takes a lot of guts for a small brand, a startup to just start and come out swinging against Amazon. And, you know, for me, that was like, I I need to be a part of this company because this, this is pretty cool. So initially You know, we were looking at the next campaign that we wanted to do, and there was a a strong push to to really target the C-suite. And, you know, something in my head said, you know, the C-suite is a is a great opportunity to build thought leadership within and 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 credibility with, but really we want to go after the people that are making the decisions. The C-suite aren't the people on the front lines and and doing the work and rolling up their sleeves and, and really digging into things. Like we need to get after the IT decision makers, because these are the guys that are, are, are researching um, different solutions. Um, and we need to get to them before they make the decision to actually migrate to the cloud, because these are, this is our biggest opportunity. But how can we get into their headspace? How can we cut through the clutter? You know, there's a lot of ads out there, you know, touting why one solution is better than the other. But really, nobody was um, speaking directly to the IT decision maker and speaking to them. And I think one of the biggest challenges that IT decision makers have in their, you know, respective businesses is that people don't know what they do. People think that they fix computers, you know, or they're having trouble with their phone. They call, you know, the IT director. They don't understand that these guys are managing one of the company's most valued assets, which is their data. And so oftentimes these guys have a lot of really good ideas and they just can't get a seat at the table or get, you know, the respect that they deserve because people just don't understand what they do. So I said, all right, how can we, you know, give a voice to these guys, empower them, and make them the heroes of their businesses? Therein lies the foundation from which we grew the Nate campaign, right? So, you know, we wanted to create a campaign focused around the IT decision maker and give them the power to go to their bosses and say, hey, cloud storage and Wasabi is the right choice for us because it's going to save you a boatload of money you know? And so at the end of the day, that was the message. And we just needed to do it in a clever, disruptive way, you know, to break through the noise. And it's funny because we actually had that campaign ready to go last August. It was, it was ready to go. And our CEO, which is, you know, Dave Friend is tremendous and he's got a fantastic marketing mind. And so he believed in this campaign from day one, but we do have some, very conservative folks within the organization who, you know, their history is in the tech space. They've not done this type of marketing before. So, we were a little concerned that they wouldn't really understand what we were looking to accomplish. And from a business perspective, the timing just wasn't right for us to launch it for for, you know, a couple of different reasons, you know, whether it was, you know, product maturity or business maturity and the fact that we really wanted to focus on building our channel. That was really important that we get our channel off the ground and then give them ammunition to go after customers at the end of the day. Um, and so we sat on it for a while. I mean, literally from August, it was like burning a hole in my pocket, like a nice crisp hundred dollar bill. And we had a sales kickoff meeting in January and Mike and I talked and I said, we need to show this video. Like we, we need to show this video. And he was like, yep, let's do it. So during, um, the marketing presentation, I showed the video to the sales and marketing team and there were some ops guys in there and stuff like that. And I, I mean, when I tell you like people were like rolling laughing it was a huge hit everyone's like when are we launching this when are we launching this this has to get out people are going to love it it you know and then covid hit so we kind of held it until you know the news cycle sort of had a little break and things were slowly improving and and then when we dropped it we were like this is fantastic i mean and we had a whole
0: before you go into the campaign further just one other kind of um, proof point that we had was you know, after the, the sales force and the ops team all fell in love with this, the next mission was to get the board of directors because oh, it yeah. represents the brand of the company. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> Dave's like, Mike, uh, we want you to show your your video. I won't call, I won't tell you what he called the video. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of embarrassing, um, but he, we want, we want you to show your video at the board meeting. So can you have that set up? So I think, I think it was Julie that went downstairs to work with, the IT director at the law firm, we were holding our board meeting. And as he's setting it up, they're testing the video and he starts watching the video. And he says, are you guys going to run this campaign? And we're like, y- yes. And he says, that's me. That's my life. That's, that's exactly who I am. And right then we're like, okay, so we had already tested it in focus groups. But, but when the IT director at a very conservative Boston law firm Says that is me. We knew. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna hit the right nerve here with people.
2: Yeah, and uh, And I'm assuming you had him in the meeting as well, right?
0: (laughs) Not not, you know no, we didn't include him in the meeting. I wish I could have. (laughs) By the way, the board was just rolling off their chairs. They were loving it as well. it, It did. It served the purpose, and it will continue to serve the purpose.
3: Yeah. And I think what, you know, obviously we had some really fantastic hits on social media and with a campaign like this, you really need to leverage social media to drive it and and get it into as many homes as possible. But what, you, you know, so so you anticipate that type of success. But what we didn't anticipate was the resoundingly positive response we received from our channel partners. Um, we've spent the last year and a half building up our, our channel and and activating the channel and the, the response we've gotten from them has been like nothing short of excellent. They love it, they wanna use it. We've been spending time like co-branding um, some of the shorter video clips for them to use as well. So they're now marketing on our behalf. Leveraging these assets, which was, you know, we were hoping they would, but we didn't know that everybody would love it. So it's been a, it's been a resounding success, you know. And often when you, when, when you have campaigns that are disruptive in nature, sometimes, it, you know, they can be kind of polarizing. People either really love it or they're turned off by, you know, maybe the use of, you know, some four letter words and stuff like that. But, you know, we do that to inflect the humor there. But, you know, the, it was exciting for me to see that, you know, the tech community really embraced this type of humor, which, for me, is like, okay, we need to do more of this and we need to do more faster. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I think to your point before about going up against the behemoths, right? Like, yeah. I mean, this is basically a calculated risk which you kind of need to, to take to stand yeah. out.
3: Yeah, for so, sure. Like,
2: their messaging, it's been, it's there. They have money mm-hmm. out the butt they can spend. I mean, like, yep. you know, but you for you guys them. to do something different and disruptive and to reach that chord in, in a different humorous way with the audience, that's right the special sauce
0: as a team and kind of the, the the approach from a from a leadership standpoint we all talked about the fact that okay so what's the worst case scenario here we uh we anger the executives at one of those big three so now amazon's gonna get the uh, press for picking on the little guy okay sign us up you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're walking right into where we want to be so yeah uh, we, we've been I, I don't know if you've caught it recently but the company just had a great article written about it in Forbes magazine, talking about the fact that uh, our growth is tripled, uh, is tripling year over year right now, and we're just, uh, as as the title says, we're just siphoning market share away from uh, Amazon and Microsoft. So yeah, you know these campaigns are definitely working, and uh, it's a hot market to be in.
2: Yeah, and I believe you won a couple of awards. Did you win one from um, a channel partner recently?
0: Yeah. We're winning awards on all kinds of fronts, whether it's technology, but you know, I think equally as important and probably even more important is it's actually, we're getting awards for how we're running the business and the people that support the business. A lot mm-hmm. of the stuff has got, you know, we, we won the technology side of the awards from the channel publications, as well as the best new cloud product in the market. We won the, the cloud storage category just announced two weeks ago in the, in the market, but also the leadership of uh, of, of these teams in terms of the sales and channel and support, stuff like that, they're all winning awards for how they're, they're handling the customer So and, mm-hmm. and working with the channel. So yeah. that, that's key as well. You, you really want a partnership. And that's, again, one of those disruption points or opportunities for a company like us where when you get to be one of these behemoths, you know it's hard to have personal relationships, and it's hard for the people on the other side of that relationship to feel like you really do care. We do. How have you guys
2: adjusted or the business adjusted throughout COVID, right? So I think it's one of these um, accidental areas that might be good for you guys. since not a lot of people are, are in the office are probably evaluating. Um, so how has that been? And then I also would love to know, like, you know, going through it, maybe from a sales side, like how does, what have you learned that, that might change the way you guys do business moving forward?
0: We can talk, tackle it from two parts. I'll talk about the business in general and then a little bit of high level on the marketing strategy. And I'll let Julie, again, give some strategy points around how she shifted kind of our campaign strategy from a paid to an earned kind of play and a social play. But, you know, as a company, literally every week this year has been a record week for the company and it's been magnified through COVID, you know, and and let's face it, you know, the, the pandemic has changed how the world interacts and works every day. Right. And, people are now leveraging technology to navigate the pandemic
3: mm-hmm. and,
0: and it's kind of accelerating the whole digital transformation of companies and, and whether that's how you analyze the data in your business or whether that's how you actually work from home or learn from home. That's where the cloud comes in now. You need the cloud to be storing that data that runs your business analytics and, and the infrastructure and how expensive it is to manage that infrastructure that cost has to be brought down because a lot of these workforces are getting greatly reduced. So you move it to the cloud to make that happen. You need to do more with less. So you, know, it's, you don't want to come across as an ambulance chaser in any way, but you know, in some ways and in the cross technology, the technology industry is booming because it's caused companies to take a look inside and how can they kind of redefine their business. What's really been interesting on the marketing strategy side specifically is you know, late last year, we made this very intentional redirect where we said, what if we actually took a, a very sizable portion of our marketing budget and shifted it to grow the sales channel? and took the dollars right out of our marketing budget. And you should have seen Julie's face when I came in and said, we're cutting the budget by 50%. And she's like, we can't do that. And I said, well, we really don't have a choice. We're, we're gonna move it because we need the people to go build the sales organization quickly. And then I said, so that's, that's our mission as a team. And she started to, you know, just, you know, juggle balls, move parts and pieces in the puzzle and came out with this brilliant strategy around earned and paid media and leveraging social. And, and, yeah. and that's really where this Nate campaign came in from a timing standpoint. Over to you, Julie.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good segue. I think, you know, in my career, I've always tried, to, I've always had to work with a, a pretty small budget, you know or I should say a, a very tight budget given what the lofty goals were for each of the organizations that I worked in. And the best bang for the buck for me has always been to truly focus on a, a very solid, you know, you, you run your foundational advertising, like your, you know, your Google and, you know, your remarketing efforts, and maybe you pick one or two brand opportunities that give you nice cover, be it a podcast within your industry or, or what have you. But, you know, the ultimate strategy is to, to leverage earned media and PR and have that work as hard for you as you possibly can, because aside your monthly retainer for your outside, you know, PR agency, or if you're lucky enough to have a solid PR team in house, you know, you can go out and get a hit like Forbes, you know, that's a, that's a a once a year type of, of hit and it delivers millions of impressions. And then you have influencers who then share it on social media and that gets you even more impressions. So, so I just find that the value of, of earned media takes your dollar and multiplies it exponentially uh, more than, than what a, a, Hate opportunity can present. And, you know, you work hard and you work hard and, you know, it's sometimes it's thankless d- developing pitches and not having them get picked up, but then you get that pop and you're like, okay, this just made my year. This is good. You know, <laughs> So you, you do all this work and you know, not everything's going to get picked up, but when you do get picked up, it's like, yes, that's, that's why we do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. You have to be so much more precise with your marketing efforts than yeah. a lot of people you're competing against. And that's, it's an inherent disadvantage, but at the same time, it allows you to cultivate a personality a bit more because you do have to invest a bit more attention and energy into those select campaigns that you run.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a very fair point. You do have to be very precise with your messaging and, and your pitch points. And then also social listening and news hijacking becomes ever so important because you have to stay really up to speed in what's going on out there. You know, Amazon is in the news every day. Does that mean that we can jump in and respond to every article that, you know, mentions AWS? No, but there are some that make a lot of sense. And for those you go after them, it's a much more precise way of, of marketing. And I almost like to think of it as like sort of like being a sniper, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I think another piece to the strategy that's really worked as well, is the notion of when, when you think of how we were doing it before we were a, a singular voice telling our story and again we shifted our dollars in such a way that we did the focus on earned media and we shifted to the channel and now you know with 300 plus partners out there technology partners and now with 3,300 service provider partners just in the last 15 months that have joined You've got you know you've got them and their workforces exponentially building our marketing message for us. So, yeah. you know it, it, it carries out much faster and much more effectively than just it coming directly
3: from us. Yeah, those those folks become your feet on the street, you know, and you can exactly. you can blanket the globe a lot quicker and a lot faster than you can then implementing you know a, a sales force of 350 people. You know what's great about marketing through our our channel partners is that. They're spending money, so they're not just talking to their sales folks, and but they're also pushing it out to customers too. They're they're getting our message out, as well, and we're pro- providing them with you know campaigns in a box that they can leverage. So now instead of just marketing to thirty one hundred partners, you're now marketing to how many customers that they have, you know. And it just it's the exponential um, growth of message is just immeasurable.
1: I find it interesting. Uh, how word of mouth can spread campaigns in different ways. Um, I was reading a, a research article earlier this week and found that you know when users have good experiences with a brand or a company or a website or whatever, they're likely to tell between like three and eight people about that experience. Like, oh, hey, I saw this really cool thing. You should check it out. But when they have a bad experience, they're much more likely to tell far more people because they want to warn their friends. Like, oh, hey, don't don't go to that company. I had a really terrible experience. They were rude to me. And so it's interesting to me to see how some companies will try to balance not only like, you know, the good word of mouth, like here are the great things that we're doing, but then also kind of spinning that around with some of their competitors and say, here are the things that they're not doing. And that's one of the things I really liked about, you know, about your website. You've got those tools in place that can show like, what Amazon is going to cost you versus like what Wasabi costs you. And it, it spins it in both ways. Not only does Wasabi have a lot of, you know, good equity that you can go out and share with people that you may know in the professional industry, but there's also a lot of that bad equity that these other competitors have that you might also share with people, you know, like, Hey, you know what, you guys are reevaluating. Well, i maybe not go with AWS because I saw that this might cost you, you know, three, six, eight times more.
0: You know, there is a real tendency Especially when you're um, moving into a new direction, as is the case with people moving you know, their data from on-premise into the cloud. There's a tendency where, you know, especially with, you know, I'll call it older school management styles, where they go with the safe bet.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: the safe bet is the proven ones that have been around for now you know, 15 years in the cloud. But that doesn't give you the opportunity to do something different and change the market and change the landscape or trajectory of your company. You need to do something disruptive to change that. And so, you know, we, we point out all those old school models and how they don't fit in today's digital transformation kind of era. And um, it's, it's worked, it worked very well in our favor.
3: Yeah, I'd like to add to that. One of the things we like to say, it's a little anecdote. We say, you know, you're not ever going to get fired for moving your data to Amazon, but you also won't get promoted.
1: It's true. Uh, so I'd love to talk about the genesis of the Migrate with Nate campaign. Obviously, you guys have been sitting on this for a while. You know, we just launched it, you know, this summer. Tell us a little bit about how that came about, and uh, you know, why you synced up with Walk West to do this.
0: Yeah, Julie uh, shared uh, quite a bit of the strategy around it, and I, th- you know, a lot of that comes from uh, her background in doing those kinds of disruptive branding campaigns. When, when the initial concept of the idea came, came from was attending an industry event where, frankly, I was the only person wearing a sport coat. And I was surrounded by a bunch of people that certainly didn't look like me as an executive. And uh, I felt very out of place. And I finally went and met with the CIO of the conference, who happened to actually wear a sport coat. So I'm like, hey, that guy will talk to me. <laughs> and, I, and I told him what we were doing. And he, he said, well, let me talk to you some of our people, IT people here. And I did. And all of a sudden, I noticed it was almost like a, you know, this this cult of technologists who, as Julie said, they just felt underappreciated by by the C suite, and they like, we know the answers, we know what we need to do, and so when Julie and I started talking about this, we, we she already covered it. We, we said, you know, these guys can be the heroes for transforming these companies. We need to figure out a way to get this out there so that. You know, they can get their place in time because they're all sitting there saying, Hey, you know, I would just love to be heard. And not necessarily for the promotion, I just want to have my voice heard, but what the right thing to do is. And, and this, I think this, this is why the campaign has really taken off is like, that is me.
3: Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I had walked, I had worked with Block West in, um, my previous role at Velcro Companies, we had been looking to run an anti-generic campaign for the 21st century. And I went to several different agencies that I had done some work with and nobody seemed real interested in, <laughs> in doing anything. And, and then, you know, I came across Walk West after looking at folks who had experience producing videos that, you know, reached a large audience and, and came across Walk West that way via a pen Holderness. And, you know, and we put together this amazing campaign called Don't Say Velcro, which, you know, generated billions of impressions, you know, made national TV. It was, it was an, an amazing experience. And so, you know, when I started working with Mike at Wasabi, he's such a, a creative thinker, loves to brainstorm. And, you know, I had shared with him the Don't Say Velcro video. And he was like, this is awesome. This is really awesome. I said, well, if you want to meet, you know, the Walk West team, let me bring them in. I don't know if it's a good fit. I don't know if we want to do something like this, but you know, I think you're going to like them. I think you're going to like their creative energy. And I think we could do something really fun if, if we want to take that type of a risk, you know, and, and, and the migrate with Nate campaign was definitely a, a risk for, for this industry simply because nobody's done anything with that type of humor before, you know? So.
1: It's a great campaign though. Great campaign.
3: <laughs> yeah. We're excited for the next round. We're working on it now. So.
0: I know Julie's had a relationship with the. Uh... With the Walkwest team now for you know probably a, the better part of a decade, this is my ninth tech company. I, I've been doing this for many many years, and and I I love to do disruption stuff. I I love to actually approach it much more like a consumer uh, marketed technology companies versus a product management or a tech person marketing. And I think that's a real opportunity to do differentiated and disruptive marketing. But I will say that of all the all the different agencies I've had to, the opportunity to work with you know walk west is is the one that now you know stands out more than any because the team really they, they they allow they allow us to tell our story but tell it in a creative way that everybody understands you know i mean i'm mm-hmm. I'm down here showing the video to my kids to my you know to to my family to friends and or they're hearing about it and and people are like, oh okay, now I get what you do now I know why it's important yeah. and that's not easy to do and frankly, most tech based agencies. Get mired down in the feeds and speeds and the how do we do it versus why it matters and how it changes the uh, kind of the inflection of business opportunity. And, uh, you know, for that reason, I'm thrilled to have uh, Walk West as a partner for us.
1: Thank you. It's very kind.
3: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point, too. And it, it, it's really not about what Wasabi is, but it's about what it does and what it can do.
1: Well, Mike, you hit on it earlier, I think, and you said that attitude is as much of a disruptor as anything, you know, you can have the tech, you can have all that, but if you're not willing to have the attitude to be aggressive and go after it, that's where a lot of companies can fall behind.
0: That's right. All
1: right, right, uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This has been incredible. I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your, your busy days to help us.
3: Thanks for having
0: us. Thank you for having us folks.
1: Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please rate and review us. Plus, you can follow Walk West on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on the Talk West Podcast.